Welcome to the Fern Podcast, As the Season Turns. Released on the first of the month, each episode follows the changing landscape of the seasons, from the moon and the stars to the tides and the trees. I'm Leah Lehnders, author of The Almanac, A Seasonal Guide, and this podcast is a collaboration between myself and Fern, makers of small-batch organic perfume, who blend, barrel-age and bottle four fragrances a year, released at the equinoxes and solstices. I love wearing fern. In my quest to live in tune with the seasons, applying the season's perfume is a lovely little ritual that reminds me to use all my senses. We hope that this brief guide to the month ahead will awaken you to the rhythms of the year and help you to settle deeper into the seasons. The Sunrise On November the 1st, sunrise is at 7.28am in Inverness and 7.10am in Padstow. It is no longer unusual to be awake or even out and about before dawn. We normally think of star-watching as an activity for the evening hours, but this November's dark mornings coincide with some astronomical events that are best viewed before dawn, if you can get yourself out there into the cold, dark morning. There are two meteor showers to look out for this month, the Taurids overnight on the 4th to the 5th, and the Leonids on the 17th to the 18th. Both are fairly minor, but meteor showers are almost all best viewed in the hour or so just before dawn. The shooting stars are created when the Earth moves through the dust trails left behind by comets, They burn up as they hit our atmosphere. Just before dawn, we are at the foremost point of the Earth's hurtle through space. We are head-on, hitting that dust trail, before the Earth's rotation spins us around towards the sun. And so this is the time to catch the most meteors. If you are up early on the 9th, you may catch the moon moving across the sky with Venus. They will rise together at 3 a.m., and then be lost in the dawn. Finally, this is a good month to view Jupiter, which is in opposition on the 3rd, which means it is at its highest and brightest in our skies, and with binoculars or a telescope, you may even be able to pick out its larger moons. It will be visible all night long, and still visible in the morning, before setting with the dawn. In the pond. The leaves are falling fast now as the temperature and light levels drop. The water of the pond is starting to cool dramatically, and to survive it, the pond and the creatures in and around it are pretty close to completely dormant. This is where the preparations you have made for wildlife in the garden really come into their own. All summer long, the creatures of the pond and the garden have been happily living their lives, feeding and breeding, but now the edges of the garden become their refuge from the cold, and the messier you have left them, the better. It is not only amphibians and mammals that make use of these nooks and crannies. Pond skaters and other aquatic invertebrates overwinter, and will often cluster themselves into a nook in a woodpile. 
Leaf piles, compost heaps and upturned broken pots all have their parts to play. And if you have not put any into place, it isn't too late to knock some together now. A great number of creatures also see out the winter in the muddy bottom of the pond, popping up to the surface every now and then to take a breath of air and then sinking back into the depths. The frogs that have hunkered down at the bottom will move around on sunny and warm days. Look out for one swimming across the bottom when the weather is mild or popping up to the surface for a breath of air. Foxes, which do not hibernate, make use of the pond now, making nighttime visits to its edges to take a drink, and you may notice their footprints in the morning in the mud surrounding the pond. You may also see the footprints of blackbirds around the pond edges, where they will pick through the mud and plants, searching for grubs and insects. In the herbarium, the writer is holding a basket of jewels. Bright red and deep purple, they glow with autumn's essence. Berries, gathered from the hedgerows, and only a few pricked fingers to show for her hall of treasure. The blackthorn and the hawthorn seem to me like sister trees, unfurling their white blossoms in turn through early and late spring, then donning their jewellery of purple and red fruits for the festival of autumn colours. Both disguise brutal thorns beneath their finery, but it is not only these that dictate careful harvesting of their bounties. They are supernatural trees, respected for their abilities to both help and hurt, but the hawthorn is the most feared as the haunt of the fairies. To dig up a hawthorn or even damage it is considered such a danger to human life that even as late as the 1960s, roads and railways have been rerouted to avoid disturbing such trees. In cases where bravado has won out, the fairies have made their wrath clear. When a farmer grew tired of tourists visiting his fairy tree and chopped it down, he broke his leg, then his arm, and finally his farm burned to the ground. But this fear of the fairy trees is balanced by much affection for them, and both the blackthorn and the hawthorn provide medicine and sustenance, as well as beauty. Many names for the hawthorn include the phrase bread and cheese, because its early buds and tiny leaves provided the first fresh greens of spring and would be nibbled by children passing by. The hawthorn's small red fruits, rather like miniature apples, are known as haws, but just as often as hags, giving the tree such evocative names as hagbush or hagthorn, and it does take the patience of a hedgewitch to collect a decent haul of these bright berries. If the fairies don't object, you might use them to make a tonic for the heart by steeping them in brandy, then adding the leaves and blossoms when the hawthorn springs back to life the following May. I can't help loving the blackthorn even more, though, for her generous bounty of sloes and the gift of slow gin. As seasoned foragers will tell you, the clue is in the name. Make enough slow gin that you can keep some for many years and the magic ingredient of time will turn it into an unimaginable elixir. This is surely the fairy's reward for your patience. 
Slows were called hegpegs in Gloucestershire, where the tree was known as pig in the hedge, which I like to think was not an insult, but a sign of respect and appreciation. The fruits of both trees feed the resident and migrating birds in autumn, though I have noticed that the red haws of the hawthorn remain untouched until the softer, smaller elderberries have all gone, and the slows are often last to be guzzled. Perhaps the birds wait for a frost to soften and split the skins, or perhaps they are waiting for the permission of the fairies or the hags who guard these trees so fiercely. Pick their autumn jewels carefully, say thank you, and you too will be rewarded. November's Island, Brownsea Island, 50.69 degrees north, 1.97 degrees west, situated in Poole Harbour, England, 2.4 kilometres long, 1.2 kilometres wide. Poole Harbour in Dorset, England, was formed at the end of the last ice age, when a valley was drowned by the sea to create a landform known as a ria. It's the estuary for four rivers, the largest being the Froome, and while now being a popular destination for water sports and other gentle outdoor pursuits, the harbour has a storied history. The Romans used it as a port for their conquest of southern England, a pattern repeated by later invaders, or would-be invaders, from the Normans in the 11th century to the Germans in the 20th, and a 2,000-year-old Iron Age logboat was dredged up in the 1960s. At the harbour's narrow mouth is Brown Sea Island, a low deposit of sand and mud on which a remarkable range of habitats has developed. From woodland, where the island's famous red squirrels live, to heath, to salt marsh and brackish lake, the island is home to many rare species of plant, animals and fungi. At this time of year the mushrooms have to be seen to be believed and Japanese seeker deer, brought over by the Victorians, can be seen rutting in the woods and heathlands. But the stars of Brownsea's November show are the overwintering birds. The north of the island is almost entirely submerged, making a brackish lagoon that forms a perfect refuge for large flocks of waders. This is an international community, with godwit from the Russian and Scandinavian Arctic mingling with localised winter colonies of Avocet and Redshank, and geese and other migrants stopping in on their way north or south. Though safe here from humans, the lagoon is managed by the local wildlife trust. Brownsea Lagoon attracts predators as well as prey. The vast flocks of waders make this an attractive site for peregrine falcons, who return year after year to scythe high above the water, lightning quick and deadly. Listen out for their distinctive calls, cutting through the gentler hoots and whistles of the water birds. You may wish to pause the podcast here for a moment while you find somewhere warm and quiet to close your eyes, sit back and settle down just for a minute into this month's Found Sound. For November's Found Sound, I travel to Lewis, a market town in East Sussex. 
while the high street is busy with Sunday shoppers. As I head to the outskirts, all falls quiet. With the cooling weather, migrating birds have flown south. Many insects are preparing for hibernation and the leaves are beginning to fall. Under the hum of distant traffic, I listen out for signs of life. As I walk back into town, I ponder on the stillness of late autumn. And then, I come across a familiar friend. A robin. Some things to look out for this month. Larch, beech and oak are among the last trees to colour up and lose their leaves. Tits and finches are the birds most likely to be seen in gardens, with occasional glimpses of tree creepers and nuthatches. Rooks and crows begin to dominate in the countryside, along with magpies. There are still lots of mushrooms and toadstools appearing in woodlands after damp spells. Atlantic salmon have left the sea and are migrating upstream to their place of birth, leaping up any obstacles that get in their way. Hooper and Buick swans return from the Arctic for the winter, and many animals are going into hibernation, or something like it, to see out the winter. Hedgehogs and dormice hibernate. Bats enter a state of reduced metabolism, but emerge on warm days. Ladybirds and peacock butterflies seek out nooks and crannies in sheds and lofts. November's perfume ingredient, patchouli. The name patchouli comes from Tamil, pachili, meaning green leaf, and historically has been used to describe any herb with that distinctive patchouli smell, not just pogo stem and cablin, the plant used in perfumery. Earthy and warm, patchouli is a summery smell, golden and a little dusty, though it's actually scentless when fresh. Ferns is grown and hand-harvested on Java, Indonesia, then dried in the shade and briefly fermented, helping to break down the cell walls before hydrodistillation in a copper still. Patchouli essential oil originated in Asian indigenous medicine, but was first recorded in ancient Egypt, and only became popular in Europe in the 1840s, made desirable through its association with luxurious Indian fabrics, such as muslin and chintz, which were packed with dried patchouli leaves to repel insects. 
Patchouli oil is an important fragrance ingredient. It's an excellent fixative, meaning that its molecules bind easily with those of other ingredients, therefore reducing their volatility and lengthening their evaporation time. For this quality, and for its easy-to-blend depth, it's often used as a key base note, as in Fern's Autumn 23 fragrance, where it enriches the fragrance's earthy, herbal facets. The Sunset The Autumn Festival of Halloween is a descendant of Samhain, the foremost of four Celtic fire festivals that marked key moments in the year. Samhain ushered in the new year and the beginning of winter. Halfway between the autumn equinox and the winter solstice, some believe this festival saw the boundary between the worlds of the living and the dead wear thin, that this made it possible to tell the future, making this a great time for fortune-telling. As the final part of the harvest was gathered, hearth fires would be left to burn out. Cattle were sacrificed, prayers spoken, and fortunes told over the fires. And at the end of the festivities, which in some communities went on for several days, a flame from the bonfire would be used to relight each family's hearth which would then burn all through the dark months. With so many spirits abroad, communities prepared for any unwanted visitors from the spirit world. Ancestral ghosts and fairies were confounded by costumes of animals or monsters, and offerings were left outside villages to appease marauding fairies. These fairies were no fluttery Victorian flower fairies. Frightening and aggressive, they rode flame-eyed horses, foreshadowing death, kidnapped children, and stole away souls. It's no wonder people gathered around bonfires to banish these lurking shadows. Several medieval popes attempted to Christianise the autumnal fire festivals, even moving Samhain to May for a time, but this was largely unsuccessful, as you might have guessed from the familiarity of some of those Celtic customs. For Halloween, and on November the 5th, we still gather around bonfires, still dress up, still come together and feel afraid of ghosts. November's Moon Phases The last quarter moon falls on the 5th of November. The last quarter rises around midnight and is at its highest point as the sun rises. The new moon falls on the 13th of November. The new moon rises at sunrise in the same part of the sky as the sun and so cannot be seen. The first quarter falls on the 20th of November. The first quarter rises around noon and is at its highest point as the sun sets. And the full moon falls on the 27th of November. The full moon rises near sunset opposite the sun so is in the east as the sun sets in the west. November's full moon is known as the darkest depths moon, or morning moon. This one is also the moon before Yule. A storm outside, but a crackling log fire is blazing in the hearth, 
sparks spitting out onto the stone floor. Beside it sits a musician, his cheeks ruddy in the warmth, picking away at his guitar. A silence, then music. This song is called Kartrev, which simply means home. And it's a song describing uh, how wonderful it is when when the when the weather is uh, starting to go wintry and the the winds of the heavens are blowing its bugle to signal the coming of winter and the darkness. Uh, how wonderful it is when this is happening to open your door and the fire is roaring and it's like the the, the wood chair by the fire is there wanting to give you a big hug. It says in the chorus, you can travel the whole world over, but there's nowhere quite like home. Wedi teithio mynyddoedd, llech wedi ach ymoedd, a llawer o diroedd blinderis. Doi sy'n lle mor siriol, na man mor ddymunol, na'n hartrep ach siriol cysiris. Pan fo'r gwyntoedd yn chwythu, a'r storm yn tarani ei chorni groesawu y geiaw. Mae nefoedd fy mynwes yn yr hen gornel gynnes, yng nghwm ni fy'n heili a nwylaw. Ond fel mae'n dda geni gartyrew, Yn le pendigedig yw cartyrew. Chwiliwch y byd, derwyddo i gyd, Doi'n sy'n man yn debyg i cartyrew. Yn agor ei mynwes I'm derbyn yn gynnes heb gynnad Ac mae'r hen gadar hithau Yn mestyn i breichiau Bron iawn a deud geiriau o gariad Mae'r dodrefn yn gwenu I gyd o fy neiti A ffyrin mae'r piseri heb siarad Ac mae'r hen awr lais tirion Pan gyrra ei galon Yn cwynu croesawiad, croesawiad Ond fel mae'n dda gen i gartyrew Hen le pendigedig yw cartyrew Chwiliwch y byd Derwyd o i gyd, doi'n sy'n man yn debyg i
Thank you for listening to this month's episode. Please do like and subscribe. All episodes are released on the first of each month. I'm Leah Leindertz, and if you enjoyed this podcast, you will also enjoy my book, The Almanac, A Seasonal Guide to 2024, which has just been published. This year's theme is In the Garden. As the Season Turns is now in its third year, with over 30 episodes, there's lots to explore for each month. This podcast is produced by Jeff Bird and researched by Catriona Bolt. In addition to my own contributions, Zoe Gilbert, author of Mischief Acts, wrote and read The Herbarium. The folk song was played by Welsh musician Gwilym Bowen Rees, who also provided music for the intro. Alice Boyd is the sound recordist and designer who is travelling the UK through the year to make field recordings for each month's Found Sounds. This podcast has been created by Fern. Fern is an organic fragrance maker based in Somerset. Working with the rhythms of the seasons, they blend, barrel age and bottle four fragrances a year. Each fragrance is made to order for the names on the Fern production ledger. To join the ledger and find out more, visit www.fern.co or visit the link in the podcast description.